it was a few years ago that I began to realize that uh, much of my thinking and shaping influences upon myself about mental health um, actually took place in the context of the church that um, my parents attended when I was a, a little fella. <laughs> we lived in the countryside and attended a church in the local township. And it was a place, I suppose, where um, you got to know each other really well. It was a small country church. And uh, looking back now, I recognise that actually quite a few people in the church actually struggled with mental illnesses. Uh, for, for example, one of the um, church attendees had had a, a lobotomy, which is like a surgery on the brain, which is, um, I don't think they do so much now, <laughs> which is good. Another um, had a bipolar mood swings, and some would just sit in their uh, pews nursing depression, while others would be fidgeting with anxiety. Um, and there was probably a lot of other stuff going on, probably much like um, any other sort of church we have now. But uh, there was a glue uh, and an acceptance of what my dad lovingly called lame ducks. And my mother would spend hours on the phone uh, listening to their heart, you know, over the phone on the calls, you know. And I suppose this sort of normalised my understanding of mental unwellness. I remember though one day um, later in my dad's life, where he shared an experience of the pastor telling my mother to believe certain passages that she would be healed. A kind of a name it and claim it approach. And I could, I could sense his annoyance about what I would call um, a burden of performance being laid on her. You know, I'd love to actually talk to my dad a bit more about that and um, what actually happened. But all those influences, they shape your thinking, don't they? And I wonder if whether you've ever been in a group of people and felt that you somehow didn't quite fit in. <laughs> that you haven't got it all together and so you sort of don't qualify to be there. I remember talking to someone uh, who used to sit outside in the car, in the church car park, and watch people going in and out of the church service. And they saw how they were dressed. Uh, the children, the cars they drove, and made some conclusions that they wouldn't fit into that church. They they wouldn't be welcome there. And so they actually started to write me letters and expressing their, their story of how churches and Christians had hurt them. Um, they'd had a, a, a burden of performance placed on them, and they believed they had to perform or be someone else to be accepted. And... Then one day they actually came and saw me in my study and I welcomed them in, into church. <laughs> you see, I said, look, a, a church is really a relationship with Jesus and this person and myself. And we sat down and we had a conversation. And uh, out rolled conversations where they felt that they were, they had, that they had been precluded from being in the church because they had a mental illness. Uh, to them, there was a supposed performance standard to to reach, you know, and they couldn't make it. Yet, in our conversations, they, they felt kind of safe and accepted. Uh, a place where hard questions were welcomed and wounds were, were known and loved. One day I showed them this picture that I've got on the blog of from uh, artist David Haywood, and it's it's a picture from the story of um, the woman caught in adultery, or you could call it the men caught in hypocrisy. 
and uh, they instantly related to the feeling of being judged and about to be stoned. And um, I'll just read you the story now. Jesus went across to the Mount of Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people, love that, swarms of people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And the religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses and the Lord gives orders to stone such peoples. What do you say? You see, they, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus, uh, he, he bent down and wiped with his finger in the dirt. I'd love to know what he wrote. <laughs> he wrote I think there's a lot of people would love to know what he wrote. Um, they kept at him, badgering him, and he straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw up, pick up a stone and throw it. And bending down again, he wrote something more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with their oldness. And the woman was left alone, and Jesus stood up and spoke to the woman. Where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way, and from now on, don't sin. Just don't do that stuff. In my friend's mind, they had already been judged found wanting and stoned into social isolation and it felt like death. Um, the judgments were either very clearly expressed, you've done these sins and therefore you have a mental illness, or they had brought um, the various ideas and thoughts together that they had experienced to create a very personal condemning judgment. And there they were, alone and separated from community. You know, and it's so easy to pick up stones and bash ourselves with some kind of self-flagellation. Church's performance standard, God's performance standard, and our failures. Absolute toxic mess. And uh, Jesus writes in the dust and dirt of our lives that um, we are accepted and loved. And in the, the fullness of his humanity, he entered into our world of accusations and shaming and walked among us got dirt in his toenails, just like us. <laughs> this is no Superman. He knows what it's like to have that stuff happen at him. You know, Jesus was very clever about asking for the accusers to self-examine. You know, it creates a, a kind of a level playing field, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, he could have he actually shared notes, <laughs> examination notes, that he had on every one of the accusers, eh? He could have pointed at all their flaws and failings from day one. But that wouldn't be Jesus, would it? You know, that's not love. You see, they, they too, the accusers, were strugglers. And it's interesting to see that the oldest ones left the judgment council first. They were actually really in touch with their true selves, enough to know the pus-filled wounds of their souls. Um, the kind of faith that Jesus was displaying was... One not on, no, it's not based on measured upon performance. You know, a Christian can have a mental illness as much as they can have diabetes or arthritis. Mental illness comes from a combination of factors. Um, often genetic factors are involved in making one more vulnerable to unwellness. 
the bumper boats, I like to describe them, bumper boats of trauma, major and minor, all sort of shape and um, the roots and courses of the brain. And then there are stress factors involved. Look, put anybody under enough stress and the human body will crack. You know, it might be a mental illness, but it could also be high blood pressure or a stomach ulcer. Being a Christian doesn't make you less vulnerable to the fragility of the brain to break down under enough stress. And you, you can read more about this in um, Stress Vulnerability in my little book, uh, So You Want to Help, and it's a pay what you want. Um, I was recently asked to watch a particular pastor's sermon on YouTube. I'm curious as to why I was encouraged to read this, <laughs> I watched this video, I, I asked the person, why do you want me to read this? Oh, it was really good. I gently um, pressed more and was told that, again, that was really good. So I thought, okay, I'll watch. Um, within 20 seconds of the video starting, I was told how to give money to this church. 20 seconds. Then it was hype and a prayer for a miracle healing. And then another message about giving. And then more hype and a message that was totally disconnected from the daily experiences of anyone I know. I, I was uh, so triggered that I wanted to throw something at this church from Charlatan. <laughs> you know what a charlatan is? Yeah, well, it wasn't actually from a town called Charlatan, but... Uh, what gets me is I meet so many wonderful Christian people who have come away from churches like this more traumatised than transformed. They have felt that their mental unwellness was a, a curse from God, uh, the result of their sin, uh, a problem to pray against, uh, a demon to be delivered from, uh, something to try harder overcoming. And they just, they feel more and more outside of um, community. And it's really hurt, really hurts. You know, for them, there was a disconnect uh, from God's love and grace and a connection to the hype and the taking of a spiritual bypass. And I see this so, so, so often. I think my favourite mission statement has, church mission statement has these words. We struggle well with life. Life is tough. <laughs> I think that's really good. We struggle well with life. Life is tough. By the way, why does something that was meant to be um, a relationship need a mission statement? <sighs> Look, honest churches have honest strugglers that connect deeply with each other's struggles. They take their masks off and talk honestly about the struggle. There's no jargon, no hyper-spiritual language that only the in-crowd know. You know, <laughs> here's a book title. The Seven Steps to the Love Languages of the Purpose-Driven Shack of JBS. Well, that's, that's been abandoned for honest, heartfelt connection. They don't create hype to band-aid the pain. Jesus left that building long ago. <laughs> they, they don't um, use a spiritual bypass to avoid the truth of our hurt. Instead, they have a narrow path. You see, when we get honest, um, we note the anxiety, the depression, the fears and the worries in each other. And faith becomes a, like a, a, a connection point for prayer and long-term pilgrimage. Uh, look, I want to be a connector uh, to the beautiful and purposeful person 
often hidden under diagnoses and labels, judgments and shame. There's so many people like that. And uh, you can too. It takes self-awareness of one's own fragility and uh, a thorough acceptance of others. Here's some quotes to consider. Look, we are not our problems. We are not our wounds. We are not our sins. We are persons of radical worth and unrevealed beauty. That's from Larry Crabb. Here's another Larry Crabb. Uh, and this, this particular quote really launched what I do. It was like the, the big um, igniter. <laughs> Beneath what our current culture calls psychological disorder is a soul crying out for what only community can provide. There is no disorder requiring treatment, and contrary to hardline moralism, there is more to our struggles than a stubborn will needing firm admonishment. Beneath all our problems, there are desperately hurting souls that must find the nourishment only community can provide, or die. Larry Crabb. And then Thomas Merton, he says this, There is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality, for life is maintained and nourished in us by our vital relation with realities outside and above us. When our life feeds on unreality, it must starve and die. Think about that. When our life feeds on unreality, it must starve and die. The death by which we enter into life is not an escape from reality, but a complete gift of ourselves, which involves a com total commitment to reality. Thomas Merton. Some questions. Number one, what is your experience of churches and acceptance of mental illness? Two, how can you offer church to someone today? Three, if you have a mental illness, what sorts of judgments have you experienced? Hey, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. Send me an email, please. Send me an email. Barry at turningthepage.co.nz And just a, another big thank you to my wonderful supporters that um, you give a little bit each month. Um, a dollar a month, US dollar a month. Just really, truly helps to uh, keep turning the page ticking along. Okay. Until next week. Um, be kind. Listen to each other. Listen to the struggles. Okay.